If you have a child with type 1 diabetes, whether they were diagnosed five days ago or five years ago, you continue to have questions. These are the questions about the emotional side of living with diabetes, the questions about how to parent diabetes. I'm Joanne Robb, a psychotherapist and fellow T1D mom, and I've been parenting diabetes for almost 15 years. In this podcast, I'm here to answer your questions about the emotional and relational challenges that come with being a caregiver for a child with type 1 diabetes. Before we dive in, I have to remind you that I'm not a doctor and nothing that I offer here should be considered medical advice. If you want to make any changes to the way you or your child is managing their type 1, please be sure to check in with your doctor or medical team. Let's get started. Hi and welcome. Thank you. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and your T1D kid? I'm Alana. Uh, My son, Jesse, is 17 and he was diagnosed just over four years ago, right after he turned 13. Got it. Okay. And what question can I answer for you today? What question do you have? So we struggle with more the social emotional side of things rather than the management side of things. He's um, 17 and a science kid. So he's got the management down as much as one can have it down. As of now, we do all the nighttime management for him because, you know, he's a junior in high school and looking at colleges and we just want him to be able to sleep as much as he can, you know, as he goes to sleep late with school stuff anyway. So we don't need him waking up for a compression low or whatever. But there are nights that he doesn't do the greatest job dosing for dinner or has a weird snack before bed. And that affects not him really because he sleeps through it. but it affects me as a mother who gets, you know, three or four alarms in the middle of the night, like I did last night. And I don't know how much to sort of let him know how that affects me. I don't want to be the mom who says, please dose better because I need to sleep because I don't want him to feel guilty about everything that he's, you know, sort of put on us without having to. You know, it's not his fault. He has type one, but I also do want to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's a very real dilemma. Um, I remember facing this with my son was that age exactly. So I think I'm going to start with some of what I would consider to be like the bad news, which is that in my work as a therapist, um, when I have type one clients, they always know that they impacted their parents. Right. These are type one adult clients, right? Sure. When they reflect back, there's always some way that they have felt the vibration of what they've put onto their families. Right. So I don't think it's actually avoidable. I do think we can do better and worse job of managing it, right? Like saying to our children, I can't believe you've done this to me. Obviously, that wouldn't be a bad strategy. (laughs) But I don't think it's avoidable. And the reason I'm saying that is because I do think of this as a family disease. And what that means is not just that you're leaning in to help support your kid. I mean, you're doing a beautiful job for Jesse, helping him prioritize sleep by taking care of it yourself. But it's a family disease and that everyone has to take care of everyone. It's not it's not one way. Right. Our kids get more control over their own management. They are impacting us potentially more and more. So I want to pause there and just see if you have reactions to that before I, we think together about how you can do that. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely, I know he knows it affects us. He's a pretty sensitive kid. Mm -hmm. um, And so I feel like it adds more burden to him that 
you know, knowing that if he last night he went to bed and he was high, part of him knows that when he goes to bed and he's high, that it's he's sort of leaving it like leaving a mess for me to work out overnight, especially if I don't know exactly what he's done because he's really in charge of his management. Mm-hmm. So I know he knows it affects us. I just don't know to what extent when I'm talking to him about his management, you know, just as a general like next day sort of being like, you know, hey, you were high last night, you know, what do you think we can do? I don't know if I just say that or I say, you know, you alarmed six times in the middle of the night. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, he, I think he checks in the morning, you know, just to see sort of went on, what went on overnight. But I don't know if he's thinking, hey, that woke my mama up six times. Mm-hmm. And are you getting up six times, Elena? Yes. Um, last night specifically, I was up six times. It was just a stubborn high that wouldn't go down. So I had to, you know, I went in just dose him, uh-huh. you know, do, do a couple of corrections. What technology is he on? So he is technically uh, on Omnipod and Dexcom, but he's looping. They talk to each other, but in whatever way they talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Not effectively enough to bring down those stubborn highs. Certainly effective, but when they're stubborn highs, it's just, it gives small amounts. It's just doesn't bring down the high fast. I mean, it was hours that he was up above 200. So, mm-hmm. okay. I think there are a number of things I can think of here. And one, the most important one actually uh, is sort of like the end, but I'm going to start, start it at the beginning, which is making it really explicit that you're having the conversation with him. So I want to talk to you about what that conversation would look like, what okay. it would look like. But I also think that there's a lot of room here for you to ask him what it's like for you to be talking to him about it in this way, right? Because you have all these worries that he's going to carry it in a particular way if you're clear with him that it's impacting you. And so we will talk about how I think you could go about having those conversations. I also think that when you're done having that conversation, either in that moment or the next day, depending on how long the conversation's been, how much bandwidth and time emotionally and logistically you have to say, Hey, how was that? You know, I know that I, that I'm coming forward to you with what my needs are. And I'm wondering how that lands for you. Okay. Right. Because you give him a chance to say, it feels, it feels bad. You know, it feels terrible that, you know, you're telling me this, he might not come forward with it in that way. You know, if it does impact him like that, I don't know what he's like, if he'd be willing to say that. But I think you're not (laughs) right. But you're going to get a sense if there's some discomfort. And so even if he's not willing to say it, you could say, I wonder if I could imagine that. Right. I can imagine that this would be hard for you to think about impacting me like this because I know you love me and I know you have no intention of doing that. And it is something that we need to talk about together so that we can make the smoothest possible system between us that impacts each of us the least amount. Right. I think he would, I think he would take that in. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's sort of the end point that's after the conversation. But I think it's really the reason I'm starting with it is because I want to reassure you that this isn't a black box, right? It's not like you put something out there, it lands in him, you don't know how it impacts him, you're somehow hurting him to take care of yourself, and you don't get to know that. 
You do get to know that. There's a step you can take to try to assess that out and assess for it. I also think all along, including in that conversation, you're talking about it as we need to partner. So how do we better partner, right? So that when you have that late night snack, it's less likely to affect me in the night, right? Because I, okay. again, I would be wrapping in this language because I know you have no intention right. of having my high alarm go off. And it does sometimes. And I would like to minimize that for obvious reasons. How do we better partner? Right. Because okay. I think he sometimes, yeah, he sometimes, um, he knows it affects us and and he does sometimes act defensively if, and I try to ask it in a non-confrontational way, you know, not even an asking, but a, you know, if he goes to have a snack, like, you know, remember that it's later or something, but he does get really defensive mm-hmm. about it because I think he knows it affects us sort of without us saying it affects us. Uh-huh. Okay. So tell me, put me as a fly on the wall, Elena. Tell me what that moment looks like. What time is it? What's happening? What's going on there? Uh, so when we talk about it, it used to be in the morning when I would see him, but that's really early now. So it's more like the next evening when he's home from school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say, you know, just like a general, hey, just in general, when you, you know, when you're having snacks at night, you know, do you think about how long it's going to last? Or, you know, in general, when you have a snack at night, can you think about having something that's a little bit less blood sugar affecting mm-hmm. than another snack? So don't, ha- you know, it was like you had an ice cream sandwich. And I said, hey, instead of an ice cream sandwich, can you grab, you know, something that's not going to last? Mm-hmm. Or can we figure out how to bolus for that ice cream sandwich, right? If he's high all night, can he do an extended over X number of hours? I don't know anymore how the Omnipod works. It's been a while since I've been on it. But does it have an extended feature still? Yeah, he has has pretty fine control and extreme knowledge. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he he knows better than I do Mm -hmm. by miles Mm -hmm. how to dose for things. And so some of it is that when I say... Hey, I'm I'm not sure that was the best way to dose for that. He's like 100% I know better than you. And sometimes he's right. And Mm -hmm. it was the only way to dose for it. But, you know, I do sometimes know things as I, you know, I'm watching the numbers. So he can technically do lots of things. I think he tends to be a little more conservative than I would be because he worries more about lows mm-hmm. um, and I worry more about highs because mm-hmm. his lows don't get extreme and his highs get pretty high and uh, they affect him pretty soon. Like by 180, he's sort of a cranky, not able to concentrate mess. So mm-hmm. we like to minimize those. Does he recognize that when he's high like that, he's a cranky mess? Afterwards. So he'll be studying for something and he'll be high the whole time. And then two hours later, he'll, you know, we'll mention it to him, drink some water. He'll come out of the room two minutes later and be like, I haven't been able to concentrate for two hours. I haven't been able to get anything done. I've just wasted two hours. Um, So I think it doesn't in the moment, he doesn't recognize it, but then afterwards he does. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more answers. Your child was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in the last year, and you're still struggling with a feeling of mourning the loss of your healthy child. Sound familiar? 
If so, Sweet Talk's After Diagnosis Coaching Course was created with you in mind as a space to work through some of the emotional issues that come in the first year after your child was diagnosed, including that feeling of mourning. If you're ready to reduce the emotional impact of type 1 on your life, check out www.diabetessweettalk.courses. Okay. So we're, we're veering off into a lot of different directions here. <laughs> so let me see if I can get this back to us up and get this a little bit contained. One thing I want to name is how old is he? And he's a junior. Is he 17. 17. Okay. So you have a budding adult on your hands. Yeah. And right now, actually, your task is to be more consultant than, than parent. And in that task switch, it might be that it makes sense to let him suffer the consequences of some of his highs, including overnight, because he's going to wake up higher and he's going to recognize over time that he doesn't feel great. And and he needs to learn that so that he can figure out that he doesn't want to make those choices, right? Now, he will learn that once he goes to college. Right. Um, he's going to figure it out. But I also think that if on a given night you want to, and I have some thoughts about how you can talk to him about this, but if you want to set your high alarm higher and make more room for you to sleep, knowing right. that he's going to make a food choice that isn't great for you, I think that that's an okay thing to do. Right. Like I'm not a medical doctor, you know, blah, 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 consequences of diabetes. But one night or two nights or 10 nights of him running in the 200s instead of the mid 100s, it's not going to have a deep impact on his overall health. Um, and he probably needs to learn himself in some way that those numbers are this uncomfortable for him. Right. So that he can make different choices. Right. And, and your sleep is worth something. Yeah. So that's one thought I have. But let's back up to how that conversation can go, because it sounds to me like because it's not explicit, there's a little bit of a dance that you guys are doing around each other that's making him defensive. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. So I think to say to him directly, hey, sometimes you make nighttime choices that affect my sleep. And I know that you do not ever intend to do that. Right. Right? That's the important part, right? We need to to sort of emphasize his good intention because it's definitely there. Certainly there's no bad intention there. No, he's the sweetest right. child on earth. Yes. So you can say that. I know you're <laughs> the sweetest child on earth and you have no intention of hurting me, right? I know that. And it is impacting me. So we need to think together. I don't want to restrict your eating and, and not but, and right. we need to think together about how we can partner better so that you get to eat what you want and I get to sleep better. You know, he has a number of food allergies and so his eating is restricted in so many ways and he has so much on his mind that he's thinking about that we try to sort of minimize this for him by doing the nighttime thinking and stuff like that. But I can see how it would be better for him to do more of that nighttime thinking. Well, I don't think you have to give all of it back to him. Yeah, not yet. I don't think so. I wouldn't. But I do think letting him know that it's impacting you so that you guys can think together. Because in a way, he's he's almost like turning away from it. Like, I'm going to eat this ice cream bar. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm not going to care that it has any impact. Right. right? And so you do need to sort of underline for him like it's oh. having an impact. 
And I want to think it through with you. I don't want to take anything away from you because what's been happening is you're kind of poking at him a little bit gently saying, hey, you've got to do it differently without explaining the why. And so, of course, he gets defensive. So yeah, I think I would have this conversation by leading with his good intention and also the impact on you and also how do we partner better. Okay. So I have a few thoughts about this beyond you can choose to sometimes raise your high alarm, which different parents have different levels of comfort with. One thing I think is that if he eats X, he needs to text you. So if you wake up at night with high alarms, you know what it is he's done. And you can make different responses based on what he's eaten. Okay. That's really good. Because he, he was asleep after me right. at this I point know. in his life. And so I have no idea what goes on until the alarm goes off at 2 a.m. You know, when I went to sleep, it was a nice 122. And then at 2 a.m. last night, it was 191 headed up. And I was like, what could possibly have happened? So it's true. I don't know. Right. So letting you know is one thing. The other thing is, and I think this is tricky with a 17-year-old, but if you're finding that what he eats for dinner is affecting your nighttime uh, sleep, that's a moment where I think he needs to be talking to you. So I wouldn't say it like that to him. I would right. say, I'd like to partner with you to protect my sleep because I know you have no intention. So I'd like to just think through dinner dosing with you. Okay. Right. Sometimes notes. that's fine. Taking notes is good. You can always listen to the podcast episode too. <laughs> um, we'll cut all that. Let's think through dinner dosing together. I know that, and here's where I would do lots of praise and lots of validation. I know you're actually better at this than me, right? You're more scientific than I am. You know your own body. You are doing such a beautiful job with your management all of which Elena sounds like it's totally true. So I would push that out first, right? Especially for a 17 year old, he feels like, leave me alone. I've got it. That's all fine. So lead with how well he's doing and then name that you do think this is impacting you sometimes. Would he be willing to have a conversation with you at dinner time? And you, are you eating a family meal? Yeah. So you probably have a sense of which meals are trickier. Yes. So you uh -huh. might even say, can I get permission if it's a trickier dinner to just think things through with you? You know, it doesn't need to be every dinner. If we're having a chicken dinner with salad, I don't need to talk to you about it. If we're having pasta, it'd be really helpful for me if we could talk about it. Right. Right. I mean, it's useful for me to know it because I don't even know what he's doing. He does all of the management itself, which is great. But I sometimes say, what do you do for pasta these days? So I do a lot of reading about it during the day and, and learning more. I mean, he's busy during the day. So I do, I'm the one who's learning, you know, how do you dose for pasta with high fat, something with it. So his is more guesswork and mine is more listening to what other people say. And so, you know, it's sort of somewhere in between, I think is what works. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you're saying to me is, hey, and what you want to say to him is, hey, I still have something to offer here. <laughs> um, right. And it's affecting me. So the last thing I want to think about with you is if another piece of the conversation with him is, is what he's wanting. If he's wanting nighttime support still. Right. And you might not be ready to let go of it. Right. I certainly was not ready to let go of it uh, when my son was your son's age. When my yeah. son. And I would be asking him still not not to give him permission to take over fully, but to ask him how he imagines 
self-management is going to go when he gets to college. What is he thinking that's going to look like? I think I'd be starting to feel that out with him. Um, right. So we did sort of talk about that. We talked about, I think it's it would be way too stressful for him to start now. He has a number of school things, academic things that he does that are sort of hitting right now. March and April are sort of the hardest time. I think he doesn't have the bandwidth to even focus on diabetes right now. Uh, but we talked about over the summer and, you know, when sleep, when he can, you know, he'll be working, but sleep a little bit more or, you know, go to sleep a little bit earlier uh, to, you know, start moving some of the management to him because he will need to be doing it mm-hmm. in college. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that fine line between like, I don't want to be doing it, but it's just healthier for him to mm-hmm. sleep through me going in there and correcting him than being up a number of times a night. It just, he would be not, he has to function a lot higher at a higher level than I do these days. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we've talked about him starting to be in charge of night over the summer. I don't, he doesn't necessarily hear his alarm. So we'll have to see how that goes. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that's a good trial. And I think that, um, that it's only a partial test, right? Because my son never woke to his alarms until he went to college and he knew there was no more safety net. So I think that the the really being away from home shifts how they relate to it. And there's no way to replicate that. And that's okay. I think him having the experience of what it feels like to be high, if he wakes up above 180, let's say, what that's like for him during the day, so that he can think about his dinner choices will be helpful. Right. Do I think this will be a closed loop anytime soon? A closed loop in his mind? <laughs> He's like, <laughs> this thing impacts it. No, he has an underdeveloped brain. He wants the ice cream bar. It's going to happen. You can be totally empathetic to that while still pointing out gently, like, oh, interesting to note. Right? Right. So how's this all feeling, Alina? It feels pretty good. I definitely think going into it with a, I know you're not intending to do this, but actually verbalizing that it it's sort of like it is it's like you'd said a dance i sort of pretend it's not a problem for me and he pretends he knows it's not a problem for me but he knows when his alarms go he knows when i do things in the middle of the night because he he checks in the morning so he knows how many times the alarms have gone off he knows how many times i've gone in to correct him so i think even just acknowledging that between us mm-hmm. will be useful mm-hmm. that you know I know you know that it affects me. You know, you yeah. you want to pretend it's like all about him, but you're right. It's a family. I mean, it affects all of us, his sister, all his parents. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard siblings say, I hate the alarms, right? Like <laughs> it, it, it affects all of us. So yeah. I want to make one small correction in your languaging, just as a thing to think about, which is, We have an instinct as humans to say, I know this, this, this happened. And the next word is, but (laughs) yeah. So let's eliminate the, but and use the word and because, but implies that you're erasing the whole front of what you just offered. I know you are completely well-intentioned and you don't mean to wake me in the night, but mm -mm. You're going to erase all that kindness, generosity, seeing him well, and and you don't want to erase that. You know, I know that right. you don't intend to wake me in the night or make this hard on me, and it is impacting me, right? Because both things are true. So it's okay. a little language trick that just makes it a lot softer. I like that. That makes sense. Anything else I can help you with? 
No, I'm going to try to implement that next week. (laughs) Good. I'm glad to hear it. And you can always email me and let me know how it goes. I love to hear. All right. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Elena, for coming on the show. Thanks again for listening today. If you want answers to your questions about parenting a kid with type 1, I'd like to invite you to join our live recording sessions so you can ask your questions in person. Not only will you get the support you need and deserve, but through the podcast, you'll be helping other T1D parents to know that they're not alone with the challenges they're facing. To join one of my live recording sessions, simply go to www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. Again, go to www www.diabetessweettalk.com and click the banner at the top of the page to register. 